You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with the Gun Show. This is episode number 646, and I got two parts for you. got one for the new shooter and for the experienced firearms instructor type, how to make more money and be more successful with what you're doing. Blackmanwithagun.com, Ken Blanchard's pro-gun podcast. All right, last week I probably ruffled a few feathers and made people look, well, what the heck is he talking about? Or maybe I said something that was decent. Either way, thank you for coming back. If you're new to the show, if you're wondering what all the hubbub is about, take a visit at blackmanwithagun.com and do a little research and ask somebody who's been in the gun rights movement for longer than 10 years, and they'll tell you about me. This first section of the show, we're talking to the new shooter. We got some tips and some tricks for you and some information to make you think. Believe it or not, I got into this business of firearms instruction to save lives. You know, ignorance kills. Education got the African people off the plantation and living as free men and women. We somehow missed a boat on continuing that education with all things. And firearms are one of those subjects. From the time you pick up a firearm, the shooter becomes a part of a system over which he or she has complete control. You are the only part of the system that can make a gun safe or unsafe. Believe it or not, hunting and target shooting are among the safest of all sports. You can help meet this responsibly by enrolling in some safety and shooting training from a local instructor, probably located at the local range. You must consistently and constantly stress safety whenever you approach this issue of firearms, especially to children and non-shooters like you used to be. Newcomers in particular must be closely supervised when handling firearms, which they may not be acquainted with. And don't be timid when it comes to gun safety. The life you save may be your own. Even though I've been in the shooting sports for over 40 years now, safety is always an issue. Safety is still important. Safety is still needed. Safety reminders are still needed for all of us. Number one, treat all guns as if they're loaded. Number two, keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction. That's always keep the muzzle pointed. Which is a safe direction? It depends on where you are. Number three, keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to use it. Your finger just naturally goes in that hole, but don't put it there. Just because it's comfortable. That's how accidents happen. When you do shoot at something, be sure of your target and what's beyond it. Always wear eye and ear protection when you're shooting. Don't alter or modify your firearm. Have your gun serviced regularly. Be sure if you're using a uh, clearing barrel that is clear of obstruction before shooting. Or pulling the trigger, rather. If your gun fails to fire when the trigger is pulled, keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction for, for a minute or two. Just in case you have a hot squib load that could go off later. Don't pull the trigger in and automatically point it somewhere like your face. Don't do that. Use the right ammunition. You know, 40 caliber and 9mm look similar, but they're not. 357 and 30 and 38 look similar, but they're not. Those two do work together, unlike a 40 and a 9. But be careful when you're with a group of people and you're outside and you're having a good time and you're just sharing ammo and throwing stuff around. Accidents happen like that. And finally, learn the mechanical and handling characteristics of the firearm before you use it. Don't be embarrassed to be new. 
And while we're journeying through here, let's continue on with a little safety. You know, not all firearms are the same. The method of carrying and handling firearms varies in accordance with the mechanical characteristics of each gun. Since guns can be so different, no person should handle any firearm without first having thoroughly familiarized themselves with that particular type of firearm that they're using. The safe gun handling rules for loading, unloading, carrying, handling the firearm, the rules of safe gun handling in general. Just by the way of one example, many handgun manufacturers recommend that their handguns always be carried with the hammer down on an empty chamber. This was a thing back in the day. This is particularly true for the older single-action revolvers, but applies equally to some double-action revolvers or semi-automatic pistols. You should know the difference. You should know what you have. Always read and refer to the instruction manual you receive with your firearm. Don't just throw that thing away. Or if you don't get one when you buy a firearm, contact the manufacturer for a free copy. The person with the gun in his or her possession has a full-time job. They must know how to use, handle, and store their firearm safely. Do not use any gun without having a complete understanding of what you have. Did you know that 99.8% of all guns owned in America are not used in crimes? Did you know that guns are used four times as often in self-defense as in crime, and 98% of the time it's not even fired? Did you know that only 1% of the time when a gun is used in defense, does the criminal actually take the gun away from the defender? Only 1% does that happen. Did you know that after guns were banned in England, the armed robbery rate spiked over 40% and 44% in Australia? If you don't believe me, ask somebody. And finally, only 4% of the guns used in crimes were obtained legally. So, despite what you've heard, those are five points that you can verify. Test for yourself. You know, right recently, I've been... A little bit more vocal than I have been in the past. I've actually been sharing how I feel about stuff because I care about people, all people, regardless of race, color, gender, sexual orientation, all that crap that we like to put in front of ourselves, which is people, damn it. They ask me, what should I buy? I haven't been asked that question in a while, but it's starting to flood in now. They're coming. Folks are finding the podcast and they're saying, you know, you've been around. You're old, dude. What do you think about this gun right here? This one I got. It's cheap. I just bought it. I just got this one. I'm looking at it in the store. What do you think? Well, I'll give you four factors that should influence your decision. The firearms uh, cost, quality, use, and fit are what you should be looking at. The cost, the quality, the use, and the fit. Sounds like a pair of shoes or a hand tool, right? Well, that's exactly what firearms are. Tools. Some use them for recreation, some for show, some for protection. Question is, what are you going to use your gun for? You see, your choices could be a gun for sport, for self-defense, for home protection, for hunting, to collect, or any combo of the following, or the not the following, but what I just said, you know. How much cash are you willing to put out for that first purchase? Bear in mind that cost does not always equal quality. Just because the gun ninja on YouTube says, you got to have this one, doesn't mean it's new. Or was right. I say go to a public range and rent the bad boy. Try to find an instructor or somebody knowledgeable about gun safety and range etiquette. And let them show you how to operate the firearm you're thinking about buying. Don't let the store clerk, the military veteran, or your Uncle Bob sell you a gun that you haven't personally investigated. The gun itself could be a technological wonder 
But if it doesn't fit your body and its needs, it's not for you. You feel me? What level of quality do you want or need from your gun purchase? The longer you're expecting to keep your firearm, the higher quality you should seek. The more pride and ownership that you anticipate, the more value you should place in your gun. For example, if you're looking for a standard 12-gauge shotgun for home protection that you never expect to fire, then the lower-priced shotguns, if you can find one, will give you the best value. However, a very detailed semi-automatic trap gun that will be shot often would likely cost a little bit more and should not be the one you get. You should be willing to fork out a few bucks for more service, too, before and after the sale. A further consideration is the guns made from stamped metal parts that are usually cheaper than those that are hand-tooled. Here are some examples of these less expensive types around. They just crank them out. They're made from, dare I say, no, I'm not going to badmouth anybody. But if you want to know, I can give you a quick list. How about Glock or SNW, M&P, Smith & Wesson, CZ, Browning, Colt, Remington, Six Hour, Beretta, Ruger, even some high-end HKs are better than some of the other ones that you might find a bargain for. And there's a reason why they're a bargain, because usually how they come out, how they're made, how they shoot. On that one, you can probably find a pretty good um, consensus of. There's a company out of North Carolina and a company out of Turkey that you can pretty much ask people, what do you think about these? And almost everybody says the same thing. Believe it or not, all guns are not created equal. When you choose one, how does it feel for you? And this final consideration involves the ergonomics of the weapon. Every rifle, every handgun should fit you. Shotguns, shotguns can be fitted with shorter stocks, butt plates, pistol grips, and longer barrels if need be. Pistols can be fitted with taller and larger sights, fingered, fatter, slimmer, shorter, and longer grips. But after you find the caliber you want to use, compose that gun for your comfort. A gun that fits adds to your accuracy and enjoyment. I thought about Smith & Wesson M&P a minute ago. They got some real nice ergonomics. Glock has a whole bunch of new interchangeable grips that makes everybody happy sometimes, even though um, they're not the prettiest gun in the world, even though I'm kind of a Glock guy for work. Um, if I have to go into battle tomorrow, if I have to do an assignment tomorrow, if I'm doing some protection, I'm going to probably grab, grab one of my Glocks. I'm telling you to try, though, before you buy. Like the grip of a 9mm Browning High Power may feel better than the grip of a 6-hour P226. A shotgun or rifle that fits is one that you can place into a shooting position easily, smoothly, and gracefully. The butt cradles into your shoulder almost automatically, your cheek settles on the stock naturally, and your dominant eye looks out over that barrel without undue strain or awkward head tilting. Your trigger finger just slips into the trigger without even reaching. Remember that guns can be made to fit your body type and that certain guns are more user-friendly than others. So compare before you buy one. Still with me, new folks? Cool. I didn't want to lose you. For you firearms instructors, I got something for you, too. Don't, um, don't lose me. Don't leave me on this one. I got some stuff for you, too, to advance, folks. You know, there's three primary ways that you can buy a new firearm legally. You can obtain one from a federal firearms licensee, FFL, at gun shows or at a store that has a license to sell. In some states, you're able to buy used guns from friends or family that reside in the same state as you. 
But gun laws change annually. This is the one of those so-called loopholes that doesn't exist. Do your research with your state of record where you have your driver's license and vote and ask local gun shops for the latest laws. They know. Not doing so can make you an outlaw. Don't be, don't be bashful about buying a used gun either. They rarely get run overly. So they're never like overly used, actually, unless it was owned by a previous gun enthusiast, a cop, or a military person, or a competitive shooter. Most people don't shoot any more than you do. There is a blue book of wholesale values for new guns, but no real concrete prices exist for the sale of used ones. Your local FFL holder can order your gun and has the right to charge what he or she wants, which means you can order one online. But how it happens is it has to be shipped to an approved FFL licensee. So say you see one in gun broker or uh, some online thing. You can have that thing shipped to your shop. Legally. Yes, you can. In some places you have to well, the dealer's going to charge you a little extra for the transfer and all that. But you can only buy a gun in the state in which you reside. It's not a free service, remember. The seller sends the gun and the store charges between 10 and $20 for the use of their license and their shop address. And the FedEx thing and all that. Just something so you can know it. There are many gun manufacturers and guns come in all sizes, shapes, and prices. There are name brands, no names, and like in other markets, imitations. Depending on what you want, what your need is, and how much you can afford, there is a firearm for you. And some are more versatile than others. That's where I'm at now. When I'm recommending or somebody suggests, when I'm suggesting something for somebody and giving them a recommendation, I'm trying to make it more than a single purpose tool. Because I know that if you get the bug, you're going to want to shoot this more. If you get the bug, you might want to take training with your firearm. If you get the bug, you might want to conceal carry. And speaking of that, make sure you don't go from I have no experience to I'm going to buy a gun tomorrow and carry tomorrow. That's a big no-no. A lot of training is required. A lot. More than just pointing and shooting. I want to keep you out of jail. I keep you alive. Look for somebody to teach you about concealed carry. Now, I know Hollywood influences the gun world, and so does the law enforcement community. Most officers don't realize the hype to which they are subject to and perpetuate. The FBI, for example, known to some as the authority in law enforcement knowledge, has a major impact on the rest of the country. Did you know that after the infamous Miami incident in 1986, where two desperados, there was a movie about this, held off a number of agents after being shot numerous times, everybody wanted bigger guns. They went back and forth between calibers, 9mm or 10mm, 10mm or 40 Smith & Wesson, or go back to the tried and true circa 1911-45 Cal ACP. Somehow the 9s didn't seem to stop the bad guys all the time. The 10s, 10mm, rattled the eyeballs, including yours truly, and um, the frames at the time used to crack every once in a while. They even tried to change the ammo. They wanted, quote, man stop rounds. You know, ammunition that will cause a criminal to instantly cease from causing further harm. So ballistic wizards and alchemists tried hard to satisfy those needs, marketing rounds like the Hydra Shock, the Black Talon, the Silver Tip, Hollow Points, and so forth that fed upon the need, but not necessarily doing what it was supposed to do. 
So what's the answer? What kind of gun do you get? What kind of bullet do you need? Well, to answer these questions fairly, you must add to the equation the purpose, the resources, the skill, and the knowledge of the shooter. I'm a firm believer that a well-placed round is all that counts. But in terms of simple protection, many things weigh into account when you are trying to make someone stop from causing further harm. Did you know that the human body is a masterpiece of God's creation? If the mind doesn't want the body to stop, it won't. It'll do superhuman things. The gun, the round, and the shooter must work together within their own limitations and those of the adversary. Training will save you money and save your life. Seek some before you buy and you'll thank me. Firearms ownership is not for everybody, but it should be for anyone who has not given up on his or her right to do so. Buying a firearm should be an educated decision, not an emotional one. A friend of mine, a guy by the name of Rob Pincus, you might have known him, he started teaching in the mid-90s, was once a full-time police officer, and he has created a successful business as a trainer, ICE training. He's in a lot. He says he's been in business for a while, and one of the pains is the undereducated consumer and training hobbyist. Both tend to perpetuate myths, support poor educators, make poor equipment choices, and get easily distracted from the hard and serious work of developing applicable skills in regard to personal defense. He's a smart dude. Since 2014, I have been a member of the Crossbreed Holster family. If you carry concealed, get a holster that supports not only your firearm, but your freedom, the faith, and this brother with a triad-free lifetime guarantee. Crossbreedholsters.com Crossbreedholsters.com All right, this next section is for the experienced, the firearms instructors among you. Folks like my main man, Michael Woodland of M-W Tactical, and probably you, firearms instructor you, how to make money as a firearms instructor. That's a good subject, huh? You know, back in the 90s, actually it was 1990 itself, I took out a business loan. I rented in a little office space, 600 square foot, about a, a mile away from a local range here. And I made a classroom and I had a whole bunch of audiovisual stuff and desk and I was ready so they wouldn't have to rent a classroom all the time. See, the range where I was, it was always booked by some retired law enforcement officer that was had an end with the range and I didn't have the hookup. But I made sure that my place was going to be homey. It was going to be posters of like firearms and stuff and had training aids. It was everything that a good classroom should have. It was good and made for adult learning. Man, I was happy. You know what happened though? I learned a valuable lesson. Overhead can take you out. Be careful of overhead. That $600 a month it was a lot back then. And uh, yeah. I ended up in bankruptcy court for my business. Shoot, bankruptcy court for my life, actually. But that's another story. So you got your credentials, firearms instructors. You made sure that you have everything. You got the NRA basic stuff, the rifle, pistol, shotgun, personal protection maybe. Um, you're even dabbling into USCCA, their newest credential. They're, they've been around for a couple of years now. 
folks are starting to look at them. Maybe you have some prior military or some law enforcement training. The credentials in truth don't mean squat. They're good to know. They're good to have. You definitely need credentials. But your student isn't looking for that. Your student just wants a certificate that they can do whatever. So make sure that you don't overdo it like I did. Um, I was trained for everything from EMT all the way down to um, basic pistol. And nobody cared. Um, It doesn't make you make more money. Actually, you'll lose money in the recertification of a whole bunch of stuff. Make sure that whatever you do, it's for you. Don't do it to impress anybody else. Know that if you are going to do anything that's certifying a person, that the state mandates different stuff. Find out what that is for your area. Location is important. Folks like to come back to the same place all the time. You know, if you live in an urban environment, then you most likely have to take your people out to the boonies or an hour drive plus. Know that that's going to mess up your role as an instructor. But if that's the place where you meet them and they're going to get they can get that down they know that it's going to be an hour out to Manassas or to Ashburn or somewhere, then that's your thing. How are you going to make money with this thing? Well, here's what happens. You meet, you teach, you gather, you collect the data What do you do with it? Right. You know, they are prepared for the real world. You in this classroom, you get to know them. Like Mike just had a class recently where he took a handful of people in a classroom to the range. They will learn to talk to you. They will learn to trust you. They're going to learn to wait on you. They're going to learn your style of leadership. And you have the opportunity here to grow a tribe. Yep. A support system for your business. Not saying you're going to be milking off of these people, but there's power in people. How about if you have an email list and you took your list and you talked to these people, you provided some benefit for them. They got questions. Help them out before they ask. Build your people up. You know what you've taught them. You know how much more in the world there is for them to know that you could share. With this tribe thing, you can influence Second Amendment fighters for the future. There's power firearms instructors in building our cause for the gun rights movement. Find you a niche. My friend up in Detroit, you know him, Rick Ector, has made a thing where he trains, gives at least two bullets per person, I guess, every year. Has over 2,000 women he's trained. They aren't looking for concealed carry permits. That's a different thing that he does. But he has a list now. You know how much power there is in an email list? Now, I'm telling you this because of somebody who doesn't use his. I got like 10 or 15 people on my list. But if I had thousands of people, you could do what I did back in the 90s. After I had bombed, had this nice 600 square foot room, I used it for a clubhouse for our 10th Cavalry Gun Club. We had some cool parties in there, meetings. Your niche. You know, there's a group out west that um, caters to women. They have a all-woman's group. They got a color. They got a theme. Um, and you can build a substantial living just tending to the people that you've already touched to and touched. You can sell merchandise, your stuff to them, um, again, because they know, love, and trust you. They've taken your class. You can do follow-up training with this group. 
But you got to communicate through either newsletters, a private Facebook page, um, a podcast even. You can grow your own organization. And we need more organizations, actually. Ones that do stuff. Ones that help people. Ones that will bring us together as groups. It's kind of like squads and platoons and companies in the military. Where's your squad? Where's your tribe at? You're missing it if you don't have one. See, if you just take somebody's money, you take them to the range, you show them how to shoot, and then you never talk to them again, you're missing the opportunity. You know, as a group, you could probably grow something. You know, if you got more than 15 people, you can get even discounts in movies and games and stuff. So how about if all you pro shooters, folks who followed you had taken your classes, all now start hanging out together? Not everybody, but some people. If you get a percentage of your students, it can be a cool thing. That's how the 10th Cavalry got started. And then it just took off because at the time there was no other. And I wasn't ready for that. Then it becomes a movement. We need some leaders. And I've talked about leaders for the last couple of weeks. I know that you are a leader. Now, maybe you're not a team building person. Maybe you're not an organizational person. Maybe you could just be the figurehead for this thing. That's another approach. Hire somebody or work with somebody in your group that can be the the shepherd, the gatherer, the nurturer, if that's not your thing. They still want to follow you. They still want to learn from you. Be Papa Bear. Get you a Mama Bear or an assistant or a trainer or a helper or apprentice or disciple and do this thing like that. There's some stuff for you to think about. All you pro-shooting people, we can grow our organization by a lot of smaller groups. Now, I know there's a couple of groups out here already. Um, There's a couple of people that I wouldn't follow to the bathroom, but they have people like you following them already, doing all their work for them for free, and you're a better person. I'm looking and thinking about one person in particular. Yeah, I just want to put that in your head. You're a leader from the get-go. Stop following And if what I've said has sparked something in your head and you want more information, feel free to holler back at your friend and your brother from another mother, and I will help you get a little further to where you need to go. That's all I'm here for, actually, to help you get a little further. A little higher up on the level, the level up. That's what I'm here for. They have tried to divide us, but you are held strong. We have neighbors and family that don't know how cool you are, but I do. Help me and support this podcast. Help me be the goodwill ambassador for our side. Nobody likes to start over. Together, we can do this thing. Go to patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. Did you get it? Patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. Well, all right, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to this bad boy. This is your friend and your brother from another mother, the Reverend Ken Blanchard. And remember that love is the only thing that can be divided without being diminished. Just in case nobody else has told you this today, I love you. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Until next time, shalom, baby. Until next time, friends. 
To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. 